Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Let me open us up in prayer. Father, just as we just sang, we lay our hearts before you. Lord, we we love being in your presence. And sometimes it's 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 easy to come into it, and sometimes it's it feels more difficult. But but we're here today, Lord. We we want to hear from your word. We want to hear your heart. So Lord, I, I ask that you would soften our hearts and open our ears and as we may carry some of tiredness from the week, I ask that you would help our focus, that we would all walk away with something that would help us to, to glorify you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for our U.S. military. Um, I'm very proud. I have a, a middle brother. My middle brother, I'm the youngest of three. We're all two years apart. And my, my middle brother is, is in the Army, and uh, he's in Alaska right now on base. And last weekend, we were actually able to, to see him. He came home um, for a couple weeks. So we went down to NorCal and, and got to see him. And, um, you know, every time I leave, I get a little sad, right? Because it's like, I don't know if he's going to go on tour soon. I don't know um, what holds for him, but... He knows the Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And I know he's going to be safe and healthy, but just that brotherly instinct, there's something that I feel every time I leave him. Uh, but there's something that I really, really love about our U.S. military, and that's that they, they live by this, this internal thing, no man left behind. We're, we're familiar with that, right? Now, I, I love that for obvious reasons, right? But but what is so cool to me is that they live by that even when one of their soldiers passes. Even when one of their soldiers gets killed in action, they do all they can to go back for that soldier. It is completely beyond logic, but it is something extremely commendable. So there's, uh, I read a book in middle school that, that I love called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. I can assure you my golf game is not a game of perfect. And in that book, it talks about a, a prisoner of war, a POW. And this guy was a prisoner of war for seven years in Vietnam. And while he was there, there were times where he was allowed to leave his extremely small, uh, you know, like barely could move his completely dark um, cell. There were times where he could go outside, but for the most part, Almost the entirety of the day, he would be stuck in this cell. Now, I should preface this. This is a legend. So we, we don't actually know if this was a real guy, but this story has been told a thousand times by different people. And so this guy, for seven years, he was trapped in this, this, this dark box where he couldn't see, right? And again, every once in a while, he'd be able to leave. But during that time, he wasn't able to move very much. And so he'd be stuck in this box, and he did something every single day, all day long, for seven years. He loved to play golf. And so for those of you that know, a lower score is better, right? 
And so like a really good score, a par score is like 72. And so this, this soldier, before he became a prisoner of war, before he was a soldier, he would always score high 90s when he played golf, which it's not great, right? But, you know, it's, it's also, in my opinion, not terrible, but it's definitely not good. And so while he was a prisoner of war and he was in this box, he did something every day and all day. He would, he would sit there and he would envision himself playing golf. And the interesting thing that happened was that he never scored under a 90 before he was a soldier, before he had not in real life. And now he was a prisoner of war, and every single time in his imagination, he would score in the low 70s. And the legend is told that once he was finally saved, that he went back and supposedly on that first hole, he scored a hole in one. And he played the best game of his entire life. Simply because for those seven years, his, he had a hope and he was imagining what would take place. But really what I want to get down to with that story, and when we talk about prisoners of war, is I, I think what gives American soldiers so much hope is because they know that somebody wants them. Somebody wants to rescue them. And they can be stuck in a dark box for seven years playing golf in their mind because they know as an American soldier that their country wants to come and rescue them. And sure enough, this guy was rescued. It was his hope that carried him through. So today we're, we're in Revelation 7. And I believe Alex is going to cover chapter 6 and 8 next week. But what you see in chapter 6 and 8 is it's talking about the seven seals of God. It's talking about these seals being broken, and really it's the judgment of God. So you see the first six seals in, in chapter 6, and then you see the seventh seal in chapter 8. So what happens in chapter 7? Well, we need to remember Revelation was written by John. And when this was written, this was written in a, a time period where Christians were beginning to really be persecuted if they refused to lift Caesar up as an idol. And so the church was facing this, this decision as a church where they were either going to have to um, move away from living uh, purely for God and beginning to lift Caesar up as an idol, or if they were going to stand strong. And so when we think of Revelation, we think of this very intense book, right? We think about end times and tribulation and all these things. Well, John does something where he takes a break from that for a quick second. In chapter 7, when he takes a break between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, he's speaking to the believer and he is giving them hope. Because he realizes in their time of struggle, in this time where John is having these visions about end times, John wants to tell them, listen, all this stuff is going to happen. It's going to be crazy. And it's going to be God's justice. It's going to be God's wrath upon the world that they deserve. But I want you to know as a believer that you have hope. And so as you're in this box for seven years as a prisoner of war, I want you to know that your American troops are coming for you. And much more true than the American military, God is good. And in the midst of us discussing this wrath in Revelation, in chapter 7, John reminds us that his wrath is not for those that love him and serve him. His wrath is for those that have not called upon his name. 
So, you guys excited? Pumped up? All right. I'm going to read the whole thing. That's, that's how we do it. All right? I know. Oh, no. Hey. All right. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 7. We're going to read the first four verses here. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud, loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So John has this vision and he's like, he, he sees this vision. He sees these four angels, right? And, and who do you think that's alluding to? In chapter 6, we see the four horsemen, right? Do you know what the job of the four horsemen is? Their job is to, to carry out destruction and carry out the wrath of God, right? So we see that, that God is speaking to the four angels, and it says to these four angels, or the four horsemen, hey, I have given you authority and power to bring my wrath upon the earth. But listen, I don't want you to do that yet. You need to hold off. We need to seal the servants of God first. Well, you may immediately ask the question, well, the servants of God is speaking about the 144,000, right? Yes, it is. But not only. It says here, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22, and it is to God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who also has put his seal on us and has given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And then again, we see in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. All those who call on the name of Jesus, that have repented from their ways and have turned and have sought out Christ, and have believed in his death and resurrection have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. They have been written in the Lamb's book of life never to be blotted out. Now we understand what a seal is, right? This was, this was a way that, that a, a king at the time, he would have this signet, right? And, and he would seal things to, to uh, uh, authenticate them, right? And it was actually, it was also a symbol of ownership. And so when this says they have been sealed and that those who have called on the name of Jesus have been sealed, it is now saying that you belong to him. But I want us to catch something here. God says in this vision, he's saying, listen, I am going to withhold my wrath for the sake of those who have called upon my name. They will not experience my wrath. That's really interesting, isn't it? Now, again, we're not only talking about the 144,000. We're talking about all those who have been sealed according to their faith in Jesus. 
This is my first point that, that, I, that I want us to understand here. Those who have been sealed for the kingdom of God by the blood of Christ are completely protected from God's wrath. And you may think that's, that's interesting because I've experienced hard times. I've struggled. Life has been difficult for me. I feel like I've experienced God's wrath, but I have a relationship with him. And I hear you on that because although I haven't been around for, you know, a long time, I've experienced struggle and I've wondered why has this happened? Well, there's a few things that we can talk about. First of all, we can talk about the very obvious, which is the consequence of sin. When we sin, there's negative consequences. There are things that harm us, right? But we can, we can also go here. We can go to um, Hebrews 12.6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so the, 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 the Scripture says, if the Lord loves you, then he will correct you and he will rebuke you. And he will help you turn from your sin. But what Scripture does not say is that as a believer, you will experience the wrath of God. And if you're still not convinced, I want to read this to you. I know we're, we're jumping around verses, right? Revelation 6.17. Who can stand before the wrath of God? It's a question. Who can stand before the wrath of God? Do you think there's an answer? There is. It says, all who are redeemed. Those who have been redeemed by Christ can stand before the judgment seat, can stand before the wrath of God, and His wrath will not touch us. And we know why that is, don't we? Is it because the wrath disappeared? No. No, it's because when Jesus 2,000 years ago was on the cross, he took my wrath. He took it. He took it upon himself. This is so important. I don't know if this feels like a complex or a, or a simple point or idea, but this is what we need to understand. As we go through struggle in our life, as we are followers of Jesus, Jesus is not doing things to us in order to punish us. He's not dealing with us out of anger or wrath. He is dealing with us out of discipline and correction. And he's dealing with, with us according to the consequence of our sin. But our wrath was satisfied by Christ. The wrath that I deserve. And John is stopping us in chapter 7. And he's looking at the 144,000. And he's looking at those who have been sealed according to God's purpose. And he is saying, listen, God is going to hold back the horseman. He's going to hold back his wrath. He's going to hold back this destruction for the sake of those who love him. And the wrath, don't get mistaken, those who do not know him will experience God's wrath. And it's like something that we can never imagine. But those who have been redeemed will never have to have a taste of his wrath. We will be disciplined and corrected. Again, this is so important because we need to understand the character of God. He does not punish us simply out of joy. 
He corrects us that we may glorify him. So you're probably still asking the question, but Ben, who are the 144,000? Well, let's read up to chapter up to verse 8. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. And 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. I'm not going to get into it, but just, you know, fun, fun fact in there. Many people believe the tribe. Did you notice a couple tribes that weren't included? Well, Dan wasn't included in here. And many people believe that that is actually where the, the Antichrist will rise up from, is from the tribe of Dan. But that's not the point. Here's the thing. We look at the 144,000, and something that we need to understand is, do we know what 12 represents in the Bible? 12 rep- represents completeness, rep- represents being whole. And so there's a lot of interpretations as we can look at the 144,000. I'm going to give a couple. Then I'm going to give the one that I believe is definitely wrong. Okay, So I don't believe that it is actually 144,000 to the dot. I believe it is a representation of completion. Now I'm going to give you the, the, two, the, the two positions that you can seek the Lord and discern which one is correct, but it's not going to change the main point. Here's the two positions. You can believe that uh, those that are, that are Christians that are, that are not ethnically Jewish are raptured before any of the tribulation, okay? And these 144,000 had to have been the ethnic Jews. And most probably, these ethnic Jews were, were, were left during the tribulation in order to evangelize the world. So that's one position. Another position is if maybe you don't believe the rapture was before all the tribulation, some people believe that the 144,000 is really talking about the entirety of God's people because of the number representing completeness. And I can tell you that some people take this, this uh, they believe this because we are told both in Romans 11 and Ephesians 2 that as Gentiles, I don't know if anyone in here is ethnically Jew, as Gentiles, we have been grafted in to the body of Christ. And so you can take either one of those points. I can tell you the third one that is definitely wrong is there have been some groups of people over the past centuries and, and I guess a couple thousand of years that have claimed to be the 144,000. The Je- Jehovah Witnesses have claimed that, the Seventh-day Adventists. And then once they surpassed 144,000 people within their church, they began to kind of change it a little bit. But I can tell you for sure that any random group that is claiming that has no right to claim it. This is talking about the people of God, whether it's the ethnic Jews or the complete entirety of God's people. So that's more just for your knowledge. But here's the point. It doesn't change the main point. Those who have been sealed for the kingdom of God by the blood of Christ are completely protected from God's wrath. And we know whether an ethnic Jew or not, whether only the 144,000 or not, we know throughout Scripture that we as believers, Gentile or Hebrew, have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
and the wrath of God will be withheld from us. For those that have, been, that have called on his name. And again, the reason why this is so important is because we need to know the character of God. We need to go, know that as we're going on through our life, we mess up one day, something happens the next day. It's not that we're experiencing the wrath of God. We may be experiencing his discipline or the consequence of sin. But if we have called on his name, his character is good, and Jesus has satisfied that wrath. Amen? Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God that you deserve. The perfect Son of God, eternal. The King of kings. The Lord of hosts. He took my wrath. That never gets old. And it never will. And I'll, I'll show you why it's never going to get old. You guys ready? Are we pumped up? All right. Okay. Let's go outside. We got a slip and slide. All right. Verse 9. After this, I looked and behold, come on, a great multitude that no one could number. No one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And they were standing before the, the, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. What does that remind you of? Palm branches in their hands. The triumphal entry, right? Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Do we remember what palm branches represent? They represent victory. They have palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice. Let me say it again. From every tribe and every language and every nation. And they're all together. And in one loud voice, they're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is your absolute assurance that this is never going to get old. They are in eternity, and they are crying out, salvation belongs to God. It was Him. It was not us. And it continues, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. The angels are, are right before God's holiness, and they are falling on their faces and worshiping God, every people saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Wow. In eternity, God, you are victorious. God, you are holy. You are so honorable. Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I say that verse because we had a good conversation on Friday with the youth about God sending people to different places and, and the world being evangelized. And so the end will not come until everyone has a chance to turn and seek God. People from every nation, and they're in white robes, which is representing their priestly service. And again, they're crying out, salvation 
belongs to our God. This is my second point, if, if you want to write it down. It's kind of long. God's majesty will be known and His joy will be complete in every nation, tribe, and tongue of the world. And by this, unity and healing will be complete. I'll say it again. I know it's probably too long, even with two repeats. God's majesty will be known and His joy will be complete in every nation, tribe, and tongue of the world. And by this, Unity and healing will be complete. Now, our world right now is, uh, we talk a lot about diversity. We talk a lot about unity. We talk a lot about inclusion, right? I mean, you can't, you definitely cannot turn on the news without talking about all these different things. And the interesting thing is that the news is always saying we're trying to achieve these things. But what does the news also say? The news says we're trying to achieve uh, uh, inclusivity and unity, but nobody else wants it. Maybe? Is that just what I'm hearing? The news makes it seem like nobody in the world wants unity and that this is an uphill battle, but the news wants it. Am I the only one that thinks that? They're like, the news is like, hey, everybody in the world hates you, but we care. Check out this car race, right? Like, that's how it's handled. Do you care about inclusion? I do. Do you care about unity? I do. Do you care about loving your brother and sister, no matter what tribe or nation? Absolutely. No matter what political background? I want to see unity. Because I see that that celebrates the kingdom of God. But what I also see is that the entire world is trying to achieve unity and inclusion and all these things, the very thing. They want to achieve this. They want to achieve everybody coming together in one voice. But they want to achieve it without God. They want the Garden of Eden without the King. They want unity without something to unify them. They want to be in charge with complete peace although they're flawed. Our world will struggle with inclusion and unity and brokenness and all of these things until the day that his people submit to him. See, the reason why we see perfect unity in this chapter is they're not focused on side to side. They're focused vertically. They're focused on the Lord of hosts. They're focused on the King of kings. I've said this before, but if we want to see change in this world, if we want to see a world that lives in a way that loves one another, then we need to bring the kingdom here. We need to bring the authority of Jesus here. It's like we have a a pot that broke and we took a bunch of dried up scotch tape and just wrapped it around like a rope. It's not going to work well. Jesus is healer and only him alone. And anyone in the world, anyone, no matter how smart or how good hearted they may seem to be, 
if they are not following Jesus, then their principles cannot be trusted. I'm not saying that they're not nice people. I'm not saying that they're not smart. I'm not saying that they haven't thought it out. I'm not saying they have not been hurt. What I'm saying is if you are not following the principles of our king, then you cannot expect a healthy kingdom. But one day, Revelation 7 shows us, and John gets this vision, we will experience this. So as much as we may lack hope sometimes in this world, we can be assured and know for certain that we will experience the beauty of God and unity with one another, and we will love one another as we submit to Him. Isn't that cool? Maybe? Christina, isn't it cool? (laughs) Always got my wife. Always got my wife. A quote that I absolutely love, me and Christina had the opportunity on our honeymoon mission trip, whatever, when, when we got married, we went to Thailand for a couple months. And before we went there, we got to speak with a missionary that had spent many years there. And he said this to me when, when we were speaking about Buddhism. The power of deceit is how close it lies to the truth. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. I would write that down. Those aren't my words, but that's really good. The power of deceit is how close it lies to the truth. The power of deceit is how close it lies to the truth. The world wants to get so close to what seems to be good. Love everyone. Who cares what they do? We are called to love everyone. with a biblical love. The enemy wants you to get so close to what God has for you and just detour you. Because the enemy knows that God is good. And he knows he's not going to be able to make something better. So he replicates to the point of twisting it. And even as believers, we have to be careful of that. We know truth, right? And we follow truth. And we're in scripture and we're seeking God. And all of a sudden, at the, at the end of the tale, at the end of our seeking of truth, we have a little rat tail at, at the very end that is definitely not directed from the word. Anybody agree with that? Man, I got to check myself. I'm like, oh yeah, most of my life I'm following the word, right? And then I have this one viewpoint that just doesn't change. And I'm like, eh. no, it seems like it's good. The power of deceit is how close it lies to the truth. Man, we only have another 50 minutes in here, guys. Are you excited? Just kidding. No, I just, we're good. So again, we need to know God's heart for his people and, and that his, his entire plan is to complete redemption. Because this, if we understand his character, as we go through struggles, as we go through discerning different avenues in life, if we know God's character and we know his holiness and we know that he is not out to destroy us, but out to correct us and to lift us up, then we will have hope. You guys ready? Verse 13. Okay. We don't want a garden of Eden without God. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? 
I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So this is believed to be those who are martyred, those who are persecuted, those who are killed. Interesting. Those who are killed, covered in priestly white robes. Then check this out. The end of verse 14. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have been persecuted, killed for the name of Jesus, they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And what color did their robes turn as they were washed in blood? White. White as wool. Clean. Pure. You know what I love about that? God does something so beautiful here. They were killed for their faith. And they come into the kingdom and they're not covered in their own blood. You know why I like that? Because they weren't in the kingdom because of their own blood. They weren't in the kingdom because they were the best Christian on earth. They weren't in the kingdom because they were washed by themselves. They weren't in the kingdom because they made all the right decisions. They weren't in the kingdom because they did the greatest thing that any Christian could ever do, lose their life. They were in the kingdom. Why? They were washed by the blood of the Lamb. And I go through my day and I think I have to you know, wash myself in my own blood every once in a while. I got to do a good work every once in a while just so God will take me in, right? It's not it. I, I, I live a righteous life so that I can lift him up. And I repent and I turn from my wicked ways because he changed me. But me doing those things is not washing myself so that I can enter eternity. No news journalist is going to be able to cover the right story in order to be the right person. I can't care for enough orphans. I can't give all my money away. I mean, we, we just saw Warren Buffett. Just He's, you know, for the past, I think it's been 10 years, his goal has been given to give away 99% of his wealth. And he was celebrating, and he wanted the whole world to celebrate him too because he had finally given away 50% of his wealth. He wanted everybody to know, I do good things. I gave away half my money already. Yes. It's not going to do it, Warren. It's not going to do it. You cannot be washed by your own blood. We see these martyrs are washed by the blood of the Lamb. And it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God. Come on. Before the throne of God, I got to read this. This is what I want. I want to have a heart of David. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord that will, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let this be the deepest desire of our heart. As we suffer, as we serve the King of Kings, my deepest desire is to be in the house of the Lord. This is no DMV line. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be like, hey, 
God, do you have a chance on October 31st of 4,052? Just for a quick coffee? Maybe just an espresso? 10 seconds maybe? Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They are with Him. And they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Do you guys remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Do you remember what they had to do to get into His presence? When we're in eternity, it says, He who sits in the throne will shelter them with His presence will be protected by the presence of God. I, I had such a hard time falling asleep as a child until my dad came in, prayed for me, said goodnight. In the most beautiful place in the world, the most beautiful place in eternity, in heaven, I'm going to receive the comfort, presence, Jesus. This life can be hard. But when you're there, you're going to rejoice. And you're going to have complete peace. 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear. John 14, 4.14, But whoever drinks the water I give them, Never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He comforts us. Can you think of the most perfect day in your life? Can I tell you something? There is nothing that you have ever experienced in your entire life outside of the presence of God that has not been tainted by sin. The beauty of my marriage of my relationship with my brothers and my parents. Fun times I've had, good food I've eaten. There's nothing that I've ever experienced that has not had the slightest hint of sin. And when we're there, there's going to be no tent of sin. That's pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. John Radford said this, after 10,000 years in his kingdom, I will say, how little I knew of him then, how much I've grown in my love for him, yet how much more I still have yet to know his character. Hallelujah. When I'm, at, when I'm in heaven for 10,000 years, I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, I did not know him nearly as much as I do today. And I'm going to know him so much more tomorrow. If today you are struggling with the character of God, if today these truths are hard to wrap your 
your, your mind around and your heart around. If you, if you think about wrath and you're like, I don't, I've experienced his wrath. That's not, no, that's not the character I know. You are going to know him forever. We have so much to learn and understand and to be awakened to. It's okay if we don't get it all right now. But we need to know this, that he knows what's best for you. He does love you. He has called you for a purpose and he's given you an assignment is what the word says. As I'm concluding, our world, <laughs> world is broken. And again, we're trying to put it back together with, with things that simply don't heal it. This world is broken beyond our repair in every sense. Only Jesus can do it. Revelation 21.5, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. You won't be hold, holding on to what was terrible before. It's new. It's not refurbished. It's not like you get a refurbished iPhone and you're like, well, maybe there's going to be a bug in it. It's new. And he said, yes, laugh, rejoice. It's awesome. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You can trust them. When we see God face to face, because we will, we will be overwhelmed with his goodness. We will fall from our feet. We will bow down before him. But let me remind you of this. There will be no more hunger, thirst, physical pain, emotional pain, sickness, regret, death, ambulances, heartbreak, brokenness, depression, loneliness, insecurity. There will be no more uncertainty of who God is, and there will be absolutely no Wickedness, it will be gone, never to be seen again. Gone. Healing, restoration, the goodness of God and nothing but. Not the highs and lows of your spiritual life, but all peaks. He will be king of kings and you will not forget it. Doubt will be gone. We will be surrounded by his goodness. If I could ask you to close your eyes, I want to read this verse as your eyes are closed. 2 Peter 3, 9 to 10. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Hear this. God does not want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But everyone to come to repentance, to turn from their sin. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid to bear. God's wrath is real. 
In Revelation 7, we got to see that he is our comfort and that those who have called upon his name will not experience his wrath, but they will experience his peace and his joy and his understanding. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if right now you're on the trajectory to receive God's wrath, which will be unlike anything, I do not say this to scare you. I do not say this to force you. I do not say this to push you. But if you believe the truths that have been said today, that God is true and trustworthy and that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, took your wrath upon his shoulders, took your sin upon his shoulders and resurrected three days later that you may be clean and with him for eternity. If you want to confess in that faith and you want to know for certain that you're going to heaven, would you raise your hand? See your hands. See your hands. Hallelujah. 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 Is there anyone else? Yes. Yes. If you want to give your life to him again, raise your hand. Yes. Chains being broken. God is faithful. He sees your hand. I want to remind you right now, he sees it. It is not going unseen. He sees your heart. You can put your hand down. God, I thank you. Well, if you could, if you could repeat after me, if, out loud or, or in your heart, but repeat after me. God, I need you today. And I need you forever. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he died on the cross, that he took my sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave, that Hades could not hold him. I give my life to you, Jesus. Would you put a change in me to turn from my sin? Amen. You can open your eyes. There was a good amount of you that raised your hands, and, and I'm sure some of you didn't, but you felt something in your heart. We want to get back to the culture of Acts. And we want to have a culture as a church that our focus is so direct on God that whether we feel like we have the craziest prayer requests in the world or we just need prayer for our daughter's math test, that we are unashamed to come up and ask for prayer. Because I can tell you that you coming up and asking for prayer, no matter what it's about, you're not a burden. You're a blessing to the person that's praying for you. And God is smiling huge upon you. So I'm going to have my, the prayer team come up. We have prayer team. Come up for prayer. Be bold. If you received Christ today, Talk to a prayer, prayer leader or talk to any staff or anyone you know that is walking with him. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.